all of a sudden the $200,000 you were hoping to make, you're looking at $100,000 in expenses that you didn't plan for that were right out there in the open, but you missed it. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to Trevor McGregor. You recognize his name. He's been on the show multiple times. Just search Trevor McGregor, Joe Fairless, and you'll hear his interviews that I did with him, and he has a lot of value during those interviews. Well, he's had a lot of value in my life. For the last five years, I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes. And oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate. And I am happily, happily married. Clearly, results are going to vary, but he has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com and you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation. We got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with the people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him, and then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been to my conference a couple years, and I know him well, and I suggest that you get to know him as well. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And I am excited about today because today's Skill Set Sunday, and we're going to be helping you hone a skill as an apartment investor who is doing due diligence on apartments, the skill of knowing how to look at the mechanical aspects of the apartment community and what is the ideal setup, and what are some of the things to consider for the setup if you're presented with a less than ideal situation. From water heaters to aluminum versus copper wiring, we're getting to get into those details. With us today to talk through that is Nathan Tabor. How you doing, Nathan? Good, Joe. Hope you're doing well. I sure am, and I'm excited to have our conversation. And best ever listeners, a little bit of background. So I interviewed Nathan on a previous episode, and you can just search his name, my name, and it will come up. After interviewing him, I then bought his book, which is How to Find, Finance, Fix, and Flip Apartments from Duplexes to 100-plus Unit Complexes. I read that in approximately 72 hours. I enjoyed it so much. And afterwards, I thought it would be good to have him on the call as a follow-up to talk through some due diligence stuff on apartments because his background and what he does is he fixes and flips apartment buildings in a short period of time. So due diligence is clearly 
a big aspect of that. So with that being said, Nathan, let's go ahead and dive right into it. The approach that we're going to be taking today is talking about what the ideal setup is for our property and then some situations if we're not presented ideal. So first, what is the ideal setup as you walk into an apartment community from a mechanical standpoint? What would you love to see? Well, in the perfect world would be building it from the ground up so you can build it exactly the way you want it to. But walking in, and this depends class A, B, or C, or D, how much you're paying for it, occupancy, deferred maintenance, but I would rather have a pitched roof over a flat roof. I would rather have copper over aluminum. I would rather have newer HVAC units versus radiant heat in the ceiling or baseboard heat. I would rather have a a good solid parking lot that's been recently done. I would love to have double pane windows for efficiency on electrical bills for the tenants. And those are on the mechanical side. Windows might not be a mechanical per se, but those on the mechanical. Hot water heaters, newer. I would love to have all the units individually metered from the water side as well. Okay. And then what are some common situations or common circumstances you found yourself in that weren't one of these? And how do you think through it? So I've bought one complex with aluminum wiring. And my personal is I don't buy aluminum wiring anymore. I know people who do, and that's good for them. But I bought it not knowing a lot about aluminum wiring other than the normal, why we use copper versus aluminum type. But I had to pigtail all the units, and the pigtail is this little six to eight inch copper device wiring. Had to do all the outlets, all the light switches, all the overhead lights, because I couldn't find an insurance carrier who would even bind the property without having that done. Mm. How much do you invest to do that? 56 units cost me $93,000. Yowzers. So it was a pretty significant unplanned for expense. Mm-hmm. And the problem with aluminum is, is housing's one thing. You get into the apartments, it overheats, it doesn't conduct as well, especially if it's 40 years old, you've got some nicks in the wiring over the years. It's just not the best thing to go into whether you're flipping or keeping the property long-term. You mentioned HVAC units versus radiant heat in ceiling or baseboard heat. Why that? The cost for the tenant. So one of the biggest is is HVAC units are traditionally more efficient and more cost-effective for the tenant. But then on the owner side, the flipping side, at one point I owned 399 units at seven complexes and currently have about 168 units. Baseboard heating gets beat up. People stand on it. They kick them off. They bend them. Well, guess who's responsible to pay for those? Yep. The landlord. For resale value, HVAC units always are going to bring more money. So I would almost rather not have central heating and air than to have the radiant or baseboard heat in there. I'd rather go in and put in new units into all the units than to have to deal with a radiant heat especially. You know, you start getting into the ceiling, and that's been put in for 40 years. Insurance companies these days that I've dealt with, they really want to know, is that an efficient, effective way to heat that unit that doesn't have a fire risk to it? Mm. 
So if I were looking today and I look, if it does not have HVAC, I build into my numbers to go in and put in a drop ceiling and put in HVAC and do away with the radiant heat in the baseboard heat. If I can't make my numbers work, then I don't do the deal. Approximately, what does that cost per unit? I'm in North Carolina. We don't have a union, so we're at work, will state, or whatever they call that there. So we're about 2800 to $3,800 a unit to put in for a two-bedroom, one about 800, 900, 1,000 square feet unit. So pretty significant. Probably, you know, you're doing a 50-unit complex, $150,000. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you will get every dime of that back in resale. Or in holding, your tenants like it better. You're going to get better tenants if you have HVAC statistically than if you don't have air conditioning and you just have baseboard heat or radiant heat. Okay. You said earlier pitched roof. Now that's versus a flat roof. Why pitched roof versus flat? Maintenance mostly. Pitched roofs, if you're building, they're cheaper to initially install. But a flat roof is less expensive to install. But flat roofs, you have the drains you have to make sure. So you got to climb up there often, make sure that the drains are unstopped. Depending on where you are in the south, flat roofs just make your electrical bills more because in the summer it's hotter. In the winter, you don't get the sun. Pitch roof has more appeasing appearance to it as well. Flat roofs are very institutional, like medical facilities and that. I don't know that I've ever seen a class A apartment building be built with a flat roof, unless it's in a city, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start looking at maintenance-wise, a pitch roof is easier to maintain. Now, a pitch roof costs more. If you got to go in and replace the roof from the get-go, flat roof is going to cost you less than a pitch roof. But that's about where (laughs) the pro of a flat roof Now, I will tell you, I did several complexes with flat roofs. One of the biggest benefits that I know of for a flat roof is if you're in an area where people still HVAC units. And I've had that happen quite a bit. So you pull your permits, instead of setting them back outside, you set them on top of the roof. And I've never had an HVAC unit stolen from the top of a flat roof. That's about the only benefit of a flat roof that I can really think of. Now, Joe, with a pitch roof, you got to be really careful of where the guttering's coming down, right? Same way with your house. If that water is just running into the gutter system, but then running straight down and running into the foundation, it won't be long before you have foundation problems and cracked brick and that. So make sure that's running off and out away from the building. I know with the flat roofs, at least from my experience, it's also costs more to insure because insurance companies know that they're not going to last as long as pitch roofs. They're not going to last, and there's also a greater leak risk with a flat roof because the water stands. And if your gutter gets stopped up on a pitch roof, it just rolls over the top. Yep. If your drain gets stopped up in a flat roof, where's the water going? Into a unit. <laughs> yep. So there is a greater insurance and lifespan on most flat roofs, a lifespans, they say 10 years. I mean, I've seen some flat roofs that made it 15, 20 years, but see, they don't use asbestos in the rubber anymore. So you save money up front, but you don't get the lifespan of a 25 or 30 year shingle as you do on a pitch roof. Mm -hmm. What are some other due diligence 
Well, actually, you said hot water heaters. That compared to having boilers. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so in the south, we don't have a lot of boilers here. I think that's been more of a probably a north. I've had one complex with a boiler. Those are expensive to repair. They're expensive to replace. Hot water heaters, the number one issue that I see in a hot water heater is when you visually are looking at the hot water heater, it looks okay. But how old is that hot water heater? When was it installed? Was it permitted when it was installed? Does it have a drip pan? I don't know of any municipality that allows you to put in a new hot water heater and not have a drip pan. Well, if that unit is 12, 15, 18, 20 years old, most likely the bottom of that hot water heater is rusted out or is rusting out. I don't know about your grandma's house, but I bought the same hot water heater for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. They don't my, make hot water heaters like that anymore. My grandma's 102 years old, and she's lived in the same house since the 1940s, so hers is probably looking pretty shabby too. But it's still running, right? It's still running, yes. And congratulations on having a grandmother who's 102, so she must be living a good life. Right? I mean, she like is. A good life, as in what she does with her time and her life. Yep. That's all. Awesome. But the average hot water heater today, about 15 years, and you're getting ready to have to replace that hot water heater. So if you're buying a complex that's 40 years old and every hot water heater in that complex is 20 to 25 years old, if you're planning on keeping it or flipping it, get ready to deal with having either to replace or give a credit for those hot water heaters. And to replace a hot water heater, labor, permit, and hot water heater, around $1,200 in my area for a 40-gallon hot water heater. Oh, here's another one that's come about. I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina area. The housing authority has passed now that any time you have a 30-gallon hot water heater, you have to replace it even if they find out about it. So there's nothing wrong with the unit. There's nothing wrong with the hot water heater. You still have to replace it. Huh. That's crazy, isn't it? That is. So you have to proactively do that, or you said only if they find out about it. So is that if there's an issue and someone tells on you or what? You're supposed to proactively do it. Obviously, most people aren't. So if they find out about it, I had a complex that had 40 units, 40 30-gallon hot water units, and we got cited by the city to replace all the units because a 30-gallon hot water heater was not enough water for a modern-day family. And over time, we had to replace them all. What do you do if the municipality's telling you to do something? Yeah, that would be a battle you don't want to fight. Well, yeah, you hire an attorney, but you're going to spend the money one way or another, so why not just go ahead and upgrade the hot water heaters? Yep. That's not in my book, but I need to put that in there now that I remember that story. But check with your municipality, township. Make sure what size hot water heaters do you have to have. Gas hot water heaters? What's the current code for venting those out? Because the way they installed those 40 years ago, if you upgrade the gas hot water heaters today, they have to be vented directly out, not up, at least in North Carolina. We know how expensive that is if you can't go up in the same pipes and now you got to go left or right. It can be quite an expense. I'm not like you. I'm not trying to scare anybody away from doing this. I just want to help them make sure they have the right information to do it the right way. 
Earlier, you said you want all units individually metered. Will you elaborate on that? If you only have one water meter, you're getting the bill for it. So I have a 60-unit complex, and it just has one water meter, so I get one bill. Well, who's outside washing their cars all the time? Who's letting their faucets run? If they're not paying for it, why does it matter how much it's being used? Mm Mm-hmm. And there's some new systems out there. We haven't tried it yet that they hook on top of the hot water heater and they bill tenants individually. I've not had any experience with those, but it makes it a lot easier if you have individually water meters for each unit to where they call and get their own account set up versus having one main account. Hey, here's a total random thought. (laughs) Bring it. Do you know who owns the fire hydrants on the complex you're getting ready to buy? I can tell you what. On my very first one, I did not look into that. And then you know what happened since I didn't look into it. Fast forward two years, and there's a big old gigantic puddle next to the fire hydrant. So I said to my management company, hey, tell those fire department guys to come over and fix that thing. Uh -uh." (laughs) Uh-uh. (laughs) <laughs> not how it works because it was on a pri- it was on a private road so who had to pay for it i had to pay for it six thousand dollars yep so i bought a complex that had four hydrants thankfully i didn't have to pay anything for it but i was looking at a twenty four thousand dollar expense if anything went wrong yep that's one of those that who would ever think about it now hopefully if you know, whoever's listening to your show they now will think about it. But $6,000, had you planned on that? No. Still, it's a lot of money, but yep. any way you cut it. So who owns the mailboxes? The aluminum little boxes? Do you know how much? And I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. I was mortified when I looked at a 40-unit aluminum box, four feet by four feet. Do you know how much that thing was? How much? It was $1,800. <laughs> You know the ones I'm talking about where they got the big door on the back and the little doors on the front? Yep. Google how much – I don't – that was seven years ago. But I just thought, hey, it's it's stamped on the side of it, property of the USPS. They maintain it. Guess what they don't do? (laughs) (laughs) They don't maintain them. Yep. So those are some of those curveballs that really break people down because it's not that you miss one of them. You miss three or four things, and then it's times seven or eight or 40 or 50, and all of a sudden, the $200,000 you were hoping to make, you're looking at $100,000 in expenses that you didn't plan for that were right out there in the open, but you missed it. What about any plumbing considerations? So the number one thing on top of my list that I do first when I start due diligence is to go to the housing authority or whoever's writing city complaints and get the last two years' worth of city complaints. The reason why I got burned on this, I bought a complex on a foundation, 20 units downstairs, 20 up top. The day I closed, that night I had a plumbing company out there and got a $2,200 bill because the bottom units had backed up and sewage was coming up in the bathtubs and the toilets. The pipe underneath the building was crushed, so we had to move all the bottom unit tenants out, go in with a jackhammer, and jackhammer the concrete out, dig down 
two and a half, three feet and replace the main sewer pipe that was on the bottom of the complex. So I was like, there's got to be a way to figure out the plumbing side. So I started pulling housing complaints and started looking for backed up toilet, raw sewage in the bathtub, anything that let me know that there was a problem with the main sewer line. Yep. You can hire somebody to bring a camera out, but they want three, four, five hundred to a thousand dollars to bring a camera out and run it down the pipe. And I was like, well, I can get the information for free and in 30 minutes, no. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit of time on that. And then once you know that, it was $87,000 to replace that pipe underneath that complex. That was $87,000 I lost. It didn't come out of anybody else's pocket. It came out of mine because I didn't know how to catch that problem. So now the first thing you do is get the last two years of complaints. Yep, complaints. I sit on every toilet. I rock the toilet to see if the floor underneath it is rotten. I open up every sink. If you were opening up a sink and every sink you open up in the bathroom and the kitchen and it has freshly painted wood underneath the peat trap, do you know most likely what they have? Severe water leak problems in that area. Because mm-hmm. they've known you're coming to do your due diligence. They've cut a new piece of plywood, painted it white, and stuck it underneath there. Well, that's a plumbing issue, but that's also a mold and mildew issue. What's underneath that piece of board? Mm-hmm. So plumbing, electrical, talking about that, do you have a fuse box? You have the old screw-in fuses. The first thing I do when I go in to buy a complex from the electrical side is see what the breaker box is like. Because it's a couple grand, two, three, four grand to rewire a unit. And people laugh at me. I buy one of those little $5 testers, Joe, yeah. that plugs in. Yep. And I walk around to every socket and plug it in. Mm-hmm. When you look at the fuse box, what are you looking for? What ideally do you see and what ideally don't you see? You want to see the modern day little black three and a half inch fuse with the toggle switch on it, left to right. You want to take the outside off. And if you can't do this, have somebody with you take it off. And then you can see, is there aluminum wiring or copper wiring? I've actually opened them up before and seen half copper and half aluminum on one unit. I don't know how that happened. Somebody must have just rewired it themselves or they had a water leak and they updated it with, it was the, obviously you had to pull that out. You really want to then, if you can, toggle those little switches, right? to see if those breakers are good or not. If you have the old screw and fuses, not that they are bad, but that's old technology in the electrical world. So if you have screw and fuses, at some point, those are going to need to be updated. So if you're flipping it, I would ask for a credit on that. If you're holding it, you need to put money in reserve to upgrade that at some point. GFI plugs. Little things like that. Does each bathroom and each kitchen have a GFI plug? Do you know most insurance companies I deal with today require that there be a GFI plug in the bathrooms and the kitchen or they won't write the insurance policy on the complex? Mm-hmm. But most 1960, early 70s complexes are built. They didn't put GFI plugs in. Again, not a big expense. A GFI plug's 8 to $12, but how many do you have to replace? Right. And how much is the electrician going to charge you to put them in? This has been a college course of due diligence for apartment communities. I'm very grateful that you came back on the show and talked to us about the ideal scenario and if it's not ideal, things to consider. 
Nathan, how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? They can visit apartments.nathantabor.com. It's got my contact information there, and they also get a copy of my book or talk with you about how to get a copy of my book. Whatever was the best way to do that. Hey, just so you know this, I really appreciate you having me back on. I enjoy our conversations, and I hope your listeners take this in the spirit of, look, you can make hundreds of thousands. You can make whatever you want to in doing apartments. But out of personal experience, if you don't do it the right way and you don't do your due diligence right, you can just as quickly lose hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars because you missed something. Mm -hmm. So true, and I'm glad that we approached it from that angle because typically it's not approached that way. So the ideal scenario, as you mentioned, having a pitched roof, having copper – by the way, I have aluminum wiring in my house, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's something we ended up being okay with during our due diligence of my primary residence. We've done some things to mitigate that risk. But pitch roof, copper wiring, HVAC versus radiant heat or baseboard heat, good parking lot, double pane windows, hot water heaters that are individual, and having the individual water metered. So thank you for being on the show Thanks for talking through this. Hope you have a best ever weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. The Target Market Insights Podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.